welcome to the Bump Room Podcast. I'm your host, Ailish Cleary, and my mission is to bring connection and understanding to the profound and powerful changes becoming a mother brings. I aim to achieve this through insightful conversations with people I find inspiring and empowering in the space of motherhood support. so excited to be speaking to Ali today. So Ali and I know each other because we did the motherhood study certification together and I could listen to Ali all day and Ali is based in the UK and she is a perinatal therapist and a matrescence coach and Ali thank you for being here and thank you for being so generous with your time. So I'm going to start off straight into this. Mm -hmm. What does a perinatal therapist do? Well, perinatal encompasses the whole period of time it takes for someone to become a mother, although you could apply it to fathers, but generally I work with mothers. And so that would be anything from pregnancy, even actually pre-pregnancy, so conception, pregnancy, then actually going through birth and then postnatally. And the reason I use that title of perinatal is because people do come to me at different stages in their journey to either wanting to become parents or postnatally. So it kind of encompasses everything. And the therapist part is that I am trained in psychology and I've got counselling qualifications. So I do work with people therapeutically. And tell me about matrescence, because this is like, I know I'm almost embarrassed to admit that I didn't know or hear the term matrescence Mm -hmm. until 2020 even though I've been working with pregnant women since 2008. Um, So I think it's still possibly an unknown term. So yeah, absolutely. You know what? And the fact that you've even heard of it at all today is it speaks to the fact that you do work in this environment because I have put it out there with a few friends and they've never even heard of it. So I think we're at a sort of tipping point really in terms of its usage in the media coming into more common usage and language and and conversation. So matrescence is the concept really of, if you think about everybody knows what adolescence is, adolescence kind of the growing pains of moving from childhood to adulthood, puberty, all of the hormonal changes that happen, mood swings, cognitive changes, physical changes. So it's a whole body and whole mind experience, which is enormous for anyone going through it. And, you know, reflect on your own adolescence and how that felt at the time. And matrescence is a term which is used to encapsulate transition to motherhood. So if you think of somebody in their kind of pre-mother state, maiden state, if you like, and then the postpartum, postnatal state of, of being a mother, often the focus is very much on the baby. And particularly postnatally, postpartum, everybody's focus is on the baby to the extent that people even forget your name. You become so-and-so's mum at baby groups, which is a personal bugbearer of mine. But matrescence is trying to give the same weight, if you like, and focus on the transition that that represents for the mother. 
And that does encompass in the same way that adolescence does really all of those social, physical, emotional, huge number of changes that the woman has to adapt to. And there's yeah. very little recognition of that and actually very little support for that in our society. So when I describe myself as a matrescence coach, my aim really is to say that you need support. We all need support through this transition of our lives. Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's um, huge. And I love I love um, you can immediately get the the. Not, not the gravity but you can immediately get like what a, a big transition it is when you compare it to adolescence because and I have heard matrescence like adolescence takes a few years mm. which I totally get because it takes a few years to bed yeah. into being a mother and yeah. the changes it brings and now we know like that science is showing us now that your neurobiology changes when you become a mother so your brain actually changes when you become a mother the same way your brain changes through adolescence and I think that one really like adolescence like you can't go back to being a child once you've gone through adolescence and similarly you can't go back to being who you were before you became a mother once you've gone through matrescence you know so I really like that kind of comparison and it doesn't get the same acknowledgement and like if I had known like that you know when my first child that I'm going to go through this thing that's going to be like adolescence I would have been like a bit more mm. uh, compassionate. I would have been more compassionate with myself. I would have been more like, um, oh yeah, this is like this is like adolescence. You know, you, you know, you, it's gonna be it's gonna be days where you're gonna feel a bit lost and you're not really sure what you're at and um, you don't know where you're going and all the same feelings you would have had when you were a teenager. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's a key point, I think, Eilish, the compassion part. So. For me, and what, what I tend to use a lot in my work is combination of mindfulness and self-compassion, self-compassion very much being a strong element in that because, because we don't even acknowledge that this transition exists, we tend to feel um, quite self-critical, judgmental, and even shameful about the fact that we're not coping when we mm. enter motherhood. Mm. So I, I think there's a sort of image that you have of a, a natural or a perfect mother who somehow does all this innately, that it's based on instinct, that you are just meant to be able to do this from day one. And so many of us, myself included, find ourselves floundering. You know, I mean, when I had Clem, I was very prepared for lots of aspects, particularly the birthing experience. I think there is some focus on that almost because of the fear, actually. I think there's a huge amount of fear around birth. And so we tend to put resources, time and effort into trying to perhaps have a, a better birth experience, although not everybody does have that. But there's very little focus and emphasis on how am I going to ease my own path through these early days of motherhood? And when you get into that territory and you find that you're not sleeping, that you're not coping with breastfeeding, you're perhaps you're finding that incredibly hard, that you just are not the sort of textbook, perfect mother, perfect maternal type or whatever it is that you perhaps had an aspiration or expectation that you would be, the gap between your very messy reality and what you thought it would be like is vast. 
And rather than seeking help and support at that time, often I, my, in my experience, women tend to retreat quite inwardly and become even more isolated because they really think it's, it's me. I'm not cut out for this. I can't do this. And of course, postnatal depression and um, perinatal mood disorders play a, a part in this as well. But I think it's all bundled together. And if there was more acknowledgement and acceptance in society that a woman goes through a vast change that needs our support, there would perhaps not be such quite high incidences of, of postnatal depression and difficulties that people face individually. Yeah, I just had like a thought there, right? If we were like um, living in 200 years, right, in the future, where um, it has been acknowledged, matrescence has been recognized scientifically as like this real, um, you know, sensitive period in a mother's woman's life that can set the tone for her health and her, her future. Um, and it's sort of really acknowledged in society. What do you think would be in place like if we had like what would what would you put in place well there'd, there'd be i i think everyone should have a doula yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone would have a doula yeah being someone who helps you through not just birth but the postnatal period and if you think about traditionally what a doula would have been that term was actually um, coined by uh, the anthropologist who came up with the term for matrescence. So a, a woman called Dana Raphael, who had done a lot of research in indigenous cultures. Um, and I think that was, it was a Greek term. It's the name for somebody who helps. And it would have been a, a local person, local woman typically in, in the village or community that you lived in. And because we now don't tend to live in community, we've lost a lot of the wisdom and the threads that bind us together in that way. So I think if you project forward into the future, there would be some kind of recognition that there needs to be a being with for mothers. So rather than expecting everyone in their own individual family unit to do it all separately and perhaps, you know, place a large amount of strain on a person's relationship, because often you, you're looking to your partner to help you with all this stuff. And maybe they're working outside the home. They've got pressures of their own. It puts a large amount of focus on that primary relationship. And we don't often have family living nearby. I think if we were really to resource this and fund this, it would be about the fact that not just the occasional health visitor or midwife visit, you really need a being with. You need somebody to help shepherd you through this very challenging experience. And maybe not always one-to-one. -one. I think it could be in a group context as well, but there'd just be less social stigma around that. And obviously, in my fantasy brain, a lot more funding for it, funding for early years provision and support, but aimed at mothers. Ali, now you're being too tame, like, go out, be outrageous. <laughs> like, we're in 200 years in the future. Like, yeah, okay. No, I'm thinking, like, yeah, okay, so there's a doula coming in, or like, there's, there's, I, I think there's multiple, like, support groups, like, you know, groups yeah. you can go to, like, you know, and, and they're part of the, you don't pay for them like they're part of seeing as really important these kind of 
you know, perinatal and postnatal um, network or support groups like so you and, and everyone does it and they all meet each other and support each other and we and everyone has doulas and you get hot food delivered to your house for the oh, first yeah that's that's the meal weeks. service part yeah and, sorry, you get meal service and and all the meals that come are nutrition like really nutritionally aligned for what a postnatal body would need they'd get women's health appointments you could go to a physio like a women's health appointment they get like eight or ten sessions they get someone to come into the house and clean the house for half a day as well um everyone would acknowledge it in society um, people would actually be um, upset with you if you were not resting or if you were not getting these things, you know, because they know the value of it now, you know. Um, it's, and then when you go back to work, there's more flexibility. Yeah. There's more more flexibility for those first two years when you're a new mother, like your work, like lets you maybe it's, it, you're allowed work from home. There's legislation for that. Um Oh, like, you know, Do you know what, Eilish, I'd vote for you. So <laughs> the thing being that I think this shift, and I mean this quite genuinely, will only happen when there are more women in politics, when we have better representation, and when there's an acknowledgement that, that, that mothering and motherhood contributes a huge amount to GDP, so gross domestic product, the, econ the economy of a society, if we were to actually put a financial value on all the unseen labor. Yeah, all the care work. Are, all the unseen care work that goes on. Mm -hmm. And you think about what happened in the pandemic, who shouldered that really? It was working parents. So not just women, but you know, the, the stats are beginning to show that, that a lot of women ended up having to even leave the workforce to, to be present for their families all of the homeschooling and stuff that, that went on, all of the caring of elderly relatives, all of the caring of children. And if there was a, a, a price attached to that, we would actually begin to value all of the things that go into making that possible. Mm. So I think what you're talking about is nothing short of revolution, really. It's a sea change in the way that we, we value interdependence and we don't necessarily value independence, which is what our current model tends to sort of privilege and put up there. So we value interdependence, we value connection, community, and we actually support it financially. Oh, I love that, Ali. I love it. Like we value interdependence, connection and community and, and our, our economy and our government supports it. Yeah. And I think I think women do, do need to get more political. And I think part of the problem is, you know, and again, this this is this is potentially a huge discussion if you think about it. Why is it in a way convenient that that we're kept so busy and kept so focused on keeping everything together? It's so that we don't have time to raise our heads up and look at the situation and think this is shit. We actually really need systemic change. I know. I've, I've had that thought. I've had that thought. And I, it's and very I, convenient. I, I actually have that thought. Just, I know go, it, yeah. just keep going. And it's very, very convenient. You know, and I'm, I'm in no way, and I, I posted about this on my Instagram page, but I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I really am not. I'm not, um, you know, I'm a, a fairly sort of rational kind of, you know, and I do vote and I do, I do all those kinds of things. But I, I think the system as it's currently set up, it, it's, it's not looking to change. 
And I actually think we need to speak louder and we need to agitate for change and we need to actually start opening up this, these kinds of discussions. And we joke about it and we sort of, you know, fancy, that wonderful fantasy vision of the future. Wow, you know, I'd love to live in that fantasy vision. But let's try and make some of that fantasy reality now. So, yeah, and I think the first thing is like for me, it's just having these conversations with people that I know are so informed in this area you know like 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 because it, it starts with conversations like it starts with like do you know there's a thing called matrescence like do you know there's a thing like that actually happens when we become mothers that like and that it takes two to three years and that if you don't get it's like an adolescent as well if an adolescent doesn't get the support care guidance um mentoring like if their physical needs aren't met like it's it's a slippy slope like mm. uh, those 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 kids can end up like you know in in, in difficult situations and I think it's the same for mothers mm. you don't get the support guidance care mentoring that you need um which is why I can see why you have a role like as a matrescence coach because I'm assuming that's kind of what you're offering like yeah and 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 my intention is not to tell someone how to do it I, I genuinely don't think there's a manual or a right way I, I think that that parenting a child is is all about relationships it's all about building that relationship and that's going to be very unique and individual to each family but my sense is that it there's so much kind of noise and external pressure on parents on our mothers in particular that it's very hard to tune all of that out and to tune in to what is right for you and so you can get a lot of very specific advice and support on specific issues like sleeping and feeding and weaning uh, and then as your kids grow, you'll be, you know, I, I do it myself, you'll be googling stuff and you'll be looking things up and buying all the positive parenting books but you can end up a bit like a, a headless chicken kind of flooded with information so much information more than has ever been available for parents but that creates again this gap between the reality of your life and your expectation and the information sometimes is quite disabling rather than enabling mm. it, it just becomes too much and you you set yourself up to fail you're like yeah I'm totally going to put these strategies into place or I'm really going to try this method with my child's sleep or I'm really going to make sure they only eat um, amazing organic food and never have any sugar. And then, you know, life is life and, and that doesn't happen. And you're right back at square one. So my approach feeling diminished and crappy about yourself yeah feeling crappy about yourself absolutely and then when you get into that kind of spiral it's very hard to come back out of it so I always start from a place of self-compassion because if you apply self-compassion you're far more likely to have compassion for everyone in your life your children your partner your family your friends and to help you tune into your own voice, your inner voice about what's right for my family, what's right for my child, what, what aligns with my values rather than being flooded with all this external stuff. Some of which is great, but a lot of times it's overwhelming. So is that, that's, I assume that's kind of some of the guidance like you would, you would give in your role as a matrescence coach is, is actually discovering what your, where your values lie 
Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's often, I would say, only with the birth of a child that it, it forces you to confront that. And it forces you to confront a lot in yourself, actually, about your own upbringing. And often it's the first time we've really realized, you know, when, when you have a child pushing various buttons in you, you start to think, ah, oh, that's completely because that's how I was treated when I was growing up or actually I want to do things quite differently to the way my parents did stuff or there'll be gaps and there will be things that trigger you in a way that you didn't even think of before the little being came into your life like some kind of amazing catalyst for change and personal growth you know but if you want to look at it positively it's like yes what an opportunity but it's bloody hard they are though like they are catalysts they are. They're like in that chemical equation. They are catalysts yeah. for change and personal they growth. Shake everything up. They, they shake up yeah. everything. But yeah. they can be catalysts as well for an absolute, you know, if, if you don't have the supports. Like that's that's and that's like Yes. That's what I try to weave in and with the women in my classes. Like, you know, like I'm trying to like, but one thing that comes up for me so much, Ali, when I try to say this to women in the classes is like. There's just so much, like, I'd be saying things like, guys, don't work past 34 weeks. Mm. Really start winding down after 34 weeks. Like, it's just too hard, you know. Um, and a lot of them can't let go of that. Like, mm. um, and, and like, I mean, they're going to be going in four weeks anyway. So, like, but, like, it's, it's um, they can't let go of, the, like, we attach so much of our worth to our work. Yeah. And not, and not the same amount of our worth to what we're about to go through. What we're actually going through now in the sense that you're going a human being, a new organ, and about to give birth to it. Mm. Um, we don't attach the same, like not even close. Like, so um, I, I think it's because it's not being messaged in society like that what you're mm. doing is actually really, really valuable. Mm. And I think in one way, one, okay, another thing, actually, if we're going to 200 years, another thing is that when you leave your job, like that you are really support, like it's like the minute you, you say you're pregnant at work, it's like, okay, who are we going to get into, you know, so that you're always covered, like your work is covered and it's covered in time and, that, uh, so that that so that that person actually gets that their work is important like like but uh, and say that they're going to be it's not an inconvenience like it's not an inconvenience to employers uh, like that you've got pregnant now and well we've got to get someone in or we don't we'll spread it out you know like mm -hmm. um like say I work for the well I used to work for the biggest you know the health service here in Ireland and like a lot of times when people were pregnant they weren't replaced mm. so women would be like really kind of having this guilt about leaving because you knew like that you're like I was never replaced so you knew that all your caseload was going to be like just spread out and you knew that people were thinking like oh there she is. Yeah, and, and <laughs> reacting negatively to, to that news. No, completely. I mean, it comes right the way back to our point about the fact that the the economic value of motherhood yeah, just is, is, is just not there. Invisible. It's just invisible, not yeah. visible. And so because of that, it's hardly any wonder that we are conditioned to value our sort of productivity 
our ability to um, contribute to the ec economy, to consume goods, all of that sort of stuff is, is what's up there, isn't it? That's that's what yeah. you aspire to. And as, as young women, actually, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm no different. I, I had a career and I was very good at that career and I got a lot of my self-esteem from it. And then I entered into the territory of motherhood and it's like I've fallen off a cliff. Yeah, I say that. I say that to the, I feel like I'm preparing them really well for birth and pregnancy. And I feel like I'm just watching them fall off a cliff. Yeah. <laughs> I that, like, like I've just sent them into the abyss of motherhood and no one has set them up. <laughs> yeah, because there's nobody there to either acknowledge that or to catch, you know, to catch yeah, that safety net. Yeah, we have to, we all have to jump off that cliff. Like it's yeah. like, it's a process we go through, but you just want to make sure there's a net there. Yeah. And I don't want, I mean, it's interesting, you know, anyone listening to this to think, oh my goodness. You know, although it, it's, it's interesting, actually, you know, the, the rates of, of um, childbirth and stuff are down, you know, so as a Western society, I, th I think we're sending a lot of messages to young women that, you know, you don't get support. Childcare is shit. You won't be able to go back to work flexibly. People are going to start voting with their feet and certainly have fewer children or no children at all. I think that's already happening. But yeah, don't want to put anybody off the idea. But I, I think it's that awareness raising piece. And you're right. I mean, I, I run pregnancy, um, hypnobirthing and yoga classes or have done in the past. And people can only think up to the birth. They cannot think beyond the birth. And I think that is because of that piece around the fear. Neurobiology. Yeah. And I think that I actually think it's not possible. Like, I think that's that's as far as we can actually. It's a block. Like, it's a it's an actual block. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I also think that there is this pressure in the workplace to, particularly if that's where you attach a lot of your self-worth and your value, to, to continue right up until the last minute. Yeah, as you say, to really stress about the perfect handover and making sure everything's covered. And it's very difficult then, you know, if a woman feels that she's lost her identity once she becomes a mother, it's because in many ways she has. In the idea, in the, the eyes of society, mm. you do just become so-and-so's mum. And, and actually, I think that's another reason why I, I, I think it's a, it's a really good idea to stop, to stop before, not to go right up until the end, you know, with, with, to try and ease off work at around 34, 35 weeks. Because I do think it's almost too much of a shock you know, to kind of like, if you write work, you, you everything that you've done that you attach your value to, that everything, it's your social life, it's your, it's, it's, it's a big, big chunk of your life. And then, and then you have your baby and all of that's gone. Like it's just gone overnight. Like, I think it can, I have seen it. I've experienced it. I've seen it with my friends, especially my friends that would have, you know, jobs that would be, you know, corporate jobs or jobs that would be like intense, like jobs. I've seen them feel so isolated and lonely afterwards um, that it was almost too much, you know, to, to, to get, to get through. So I think even winding down a bit earlier, almost kind of prepare, like it almost just mentally prepares you as well for this. It adjust, it's like an adjustment time, you know, it's yeah. not just, it's not just physical. It's not just about the physical side of it. It's just about like adjusting to, um, the process of matrescence, like what's what's coming. 
yeah yeah so that's why I really like yeah I I know that like when I say it like actually what really tends to work in the classes is when I say guys you're going to be working 40 years probably you're going to be paying 40 years tax four weeks Mm, in the context of that absolutely (laughs) yeah you know. And it comes again right back to the where we started in this conversation, which is about um, acknowledging and honouring that transition and invoicing it, having these kinds of conversations. People aren't ready to hear this stuff because they've not been exposed to it. And so they don't, there is no sort of emphasis placed on preparation for matrescence yeah you know there's there's loads of childbirth preparation but there isn't anything around the emotional social financial relationship impacts that having a baby is going to bring and then those are the things people struggle with afterwards because partly there's this sense of well why did nobody tell me but also I think because you've got that voice saying why did nobody tell me you're also thinking perhaps it's just me you know, mm. oh, it's yeah. this again. Yeah, it's this hidden really? thing. It's hidden yeah. and because it's hidden, and because we don't talk about it and we don't share openly about it, and we open up social media and we see these perfectly curated feeds of like celebrity mums or whatever. They've bounced straight back into their, you know, pre-pregnancy nice. body. Yeah. They're eating amazing like green smoothies. The child is decked out in like perfectly matching mini me outfits. They're going on holidays in exotic locations. It's bollocks. I mean, real <laughs> excuse my language. I hope this it's good to see podcasts. You can bleep that out. But it is because again it sets us up to think you know, I know people probably don't believe that facade, but no, it, you don't believe it. But it's still, it's still it's like still, I know you. Yeah, I know that, but you still see it, and you're like, oh, yeah. But like, yeah, like I mean, that's this is great. This is a great conversation because, and the other thing that occurred to me there as well is when we do acknowledge this transition and acknowledge matrescence and acknowledge that you know the, that it's a process that you know and that how important it is once when we acknowledge it by doing things like that by finishing work a bit earlier or by getting a postpartum doula in or by making sure we're going to the women's health physios afterwards to look after ourselves um or make or, or getting the hot meals delivered or or hiring a matrescence coach or whatever once in all of those kind of little actions that like there's acknowledgement which i think gives other women permission mm. to do it Yes, it's actually the most powerful. It's really great. You're giving other women permission. Yeah, yeah, no, completely. Or you're at least planting the seed of the idea. Planting the seed that someone can do, you know. Now, there's one thing I just, because I'm really conscious of time, but there was one thing that came up there that I wanted to talk about was, which I thought was really interesting in Sophie's course, was that pathologizing of maternal anxiety or maternal upset Mm. or like and I think that it's worth just talking about this because Mm. we know that there I personally the days that maybe I felt like I wasn't coping there was a little part of me that was afraid to say it in case I got labeled labeled Mm. right and I'm saying that like knowing that that's not fair you know but like labeled as like oh she has postnatal depression 
where mm. she has she's not coping she's not co- you know and so I think that we've pathologized like what Sophie was saying is and, and and there's a line isn't there like between, so it's mm. like you're afraid to say that you're not coping what do you think about that yeah no completely Elish. I mean I think a lot of what we would see as uh postnatal depression actually is a function of lack of support in society for new mothers yes and I think the response that you have as a new mother coming into that is entirely rational it's not irrational it's not a mental health problem not pathology it's It's a mental health problem yes now sure within that you have individuals struggling with their own mental health you know I'm not denying you know and I'm psychotherapy trained and you know, there's lots of individual distress, which can be triggered by lots of factors through pregnancy and then birth, you know, traumatic aspects of birth, for example, difficulties breastfeeding, um, just the sheer flood of hormones and the shift that you get there can trigger. And the biochemical changes in the brain that you you mentioned, those neurobiological changes for some people can tip over the edge into, into a mental health problem. But a lot of things that we experience in early motherhood are totally normal in the sense that the sleep deprivation is is real, it's there. And because of the lack of support, you're often trying to hold it together in a way that you wouldn't have to if you did have someone kind of being with, that idea of being with, you know, you wouldn't be quite so isolated. The, the feelings that you have that come up, sometimes people are very scared because they have intrusive thoughts. So problems, you know, thinking I'm going to drop the baby, or I'm going to harm the baby or, um, you know, really quite confronting thoughts. And actually, again, although you want to be careful, this doesn't become a habitual thing that goes on for years and years. In that early postpartum period, very normal to feel those things because you have a very heightened fight flight response, very heightened levels of anxiety. And actually some of that anxiety is to do with the fact that you have now got a baby to take care of. So that manifests in ways that can feel quite scary to people. So again, I think just having these conversations, surfacing this stuff, helping people to realize that they're not alone. Yeah. You know, you, you still absolutely go see your GP, absolutely um, have some antidepressants to help you get through this period of time. But I do think we tend to medicate women's problems. <laughs> it's, yeah. We tend to individualize them and we tend to medicate them. And that's not to say that an individual focus or a medical focus is wrong. It's just to say that it fails to look at the bigger picture. What level of support does that person have? Yeah. yeah. What are they dealing with? What, what are they, de- are they dealing with in their life? Right. Because, you know, I, you see women, I see women, my classes that are dealing with elderly parents, maybe dealing with some other, like a, a, a sick partner, um, they, maybe a disabled child. Like they have stuff going on that would you know, that would challenge and and the amount of support they need and they're not getting. And then it's a next thing. It's like, oh yeah, you're, you're depressed. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, from a psychological perspective, there are different kind of, yeah. And I know I'm saying that like from not a space of like, like I do think that it's worth, I just kind of wanted to just have a little brief talk about that because Mm -hmm. I, I think that it's, 
something I didn't even realize until we did Sophie's course. It hadn't, hadn't even occurred to me like that we pathologize things that maybe are due to lack of support and, you know, like, and maybe looking at that, you know. Yeah. Um, and the, the word and is always really helpful because I think, you know, it's not either or. It, mm. it could be an individual's response based on all sorts of unique factors for them. Mm. But the, the societal part is really important. And, and often, you know, the prescription, if you like, or the medicine for that is changing the environment. Um, you know, providing that extra support might be all it takes for that person to be able to overcome how they feel individually. So there's all sorts of ways of looking at this and it's not either or it's just that we tend not to see the individual in the context of their broader society and that is what the motherhood studies work I think does so powerfully it situates the individual within a bigger context yeah yeah and you're what, what are you without context yeah like, context for everything like and I never had context for for stepping into being a mother that's why I found the course so great and that's why I'm doing the podcast yeah Ali I am not going to keep you any longer because like I know I'm not going to edit any of this <laughs> oh Ailish I, I swore quite a lot there so um yeah sorry about yeah, that. I better get good at like <laughs> editing <laughs> okay thank you so much for your time and um yeah thank you thank you Ali and people can find nice. you on um the instagram handle like the good enough mamas and your website is the good enough mama but i'll have that in the description that's right yeah okay brilliant yeah great to chat to you Eilish. yeah it's really i mean it's good to have these conversations because it, it is a starting point if nothing else yes okay thank you for listening if you found this conversation informative please share everything happens in conversation If you want to learn more about our classes and education at The Bump Room, head over to our website, thebumproom.ie.